0: All right, if you have your Bibles already for Daniel chapter 4 tonight, so it's been a couple weeks, right? Last week was Georgia, the week before that was our update on the country of Georgia, the week before that Pastor Gerald was here doing an update, and so um, basically last week was was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, right? And then this week we're going to get the end of Nebuchadnezzar, and so I remember I told you between chapter 2 and 3 there was a gap, probably a 15 year gap between chapters two and the fiery furnace and then between chapters three and four there's a long gap about 30 years because from the time we meet nebuchadnezzar he's a young king his dad nebuchadnezzar is ruling in babylon who actually built babylon nebuchadnezzar is in um, israel conquering israel when he gets the news that his father is dead or dying and he rushes back from um, jerusalem to babylon Um, probably to secure his place in the kingdom, but as a young ruler, he's a general in the army, and and Babylon made how many uh, trips to Israel to conquer them? Do you guys remember I told you this? Three trips, and Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were taken in the first trip. Nebuchadnezzar was there again. His father was, was either ill or dying. He rushed back to Jerusalem. He becomes the king of Babylon, and from Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Babylon had already begun to be built. Now, Arguably, Babylon is one of the greatest cities of accomplishment in all of human history, really, in all of antiquities. Um, Babylon would have been a city, had more people than the city of Philadelphia, way more than Salt Lake City. The walls, as I told you guys before, um, 49 miles of walls in Babylon that were um, 200 feet high and were so wide that they could ride two chariots abreast across the top of the walls. And then Nebuchadnezzar was a world conqueror. Now, we don't have those today, right? Instead, we have today basement dwellers and other such world leaders. Um, um, in, in Russia, we have um, Putin who, in his own right, is a... You know, some of these, these, these presidents and rural, world rulers, they, they get this pride in their minds and in their eyes that there's something um, special. And Nebuchadnezzar definitely had this problem Part of it was because, again, he was a world ruler. Babylon was actually that great. It really was, again, arguably probably one of the greatest um, cities in all of history. The, the river um, ran right through the middle of the city, right through the middle of the walls. The, the, the crops and the, um, the farms were inside of the city walls, so they had all of their own food. I think it was said that they could close the walls up, lock the city down, and and the millions of people that lived inside the walls could live there for years without ever out having to venture outside of the walls. It was unpenetrable. If armies showed up, they just threw parties and didn't even worry about them because it was impossible for the armies to get into the walls or the cities. Um, he had one of the, the wonders of the world. How many wonders of the world are there? Seven wonders of the world. Can anybody name one of them? The Great Wall of China? Very good. Somebody said the pyramids? Alright, you guys are pretty good. You got two. Anybody else? Niagara Falls? Grand Canyon? Very good. I, I honestly don't think I could have named one of them. Now I know what they are, but just to know it's seven wonders. So one of the eighth wonders of the world was um, a thing that, that Nebuchadnezzar built called the Hanging Gardens. It was said that you could see it for miles and miles around. And and the way that they had to water it, um, and the botanist whoever was there, had figured out that rather than water at the base of some of these plants if the water fell on the leaves, so they created systems for it to fall. Now, when I think of hanging gardens, because I've heard of hanging gardens before, and again, I guess I'm not very creative, but in my mind, I see like, I don't know, like a roof like this one with with greenery on it, you know, hanging like this. But um, Nebuchadnezzar's wife was from an area where there was many mountains, and where Babylon was, there was no mountains. And so the idea was that Nebuchadnezzar was going to build a mountain for his wife from plant, plants and flowers. And, and that was what the hanging gardens of Babylon were. they looked like mountains of flowers with this elaborate watering system. Now, um, do you, you know, remember in Iraq when we were in Iraq, when, when we, the United States was, was conquering Iraq. One of the things that was happening at that time was that King Hussein, is it King Hussein? Saddam Hussein. Saddam Hussein had this, um, kind of this weird fascina, fascin, fascination that he was um, Nebuchadnezzar of the past. He fancied himself as a Nebuchadnezzar or a type of Nebuchadnezzar. And for this reason, um, Saddam Hussein was preserving the area in modern-day Iraq where ancient Babylon sat. It's still there to this day. And, and um, King Hussein said that one day he would rebuild ancient Babylon because he believed that he was there. Um, the The Nebuchadnezzar of the future well he he died hanged in a in, you know in a, in a rat nest of a of a place where he was and and he wasn't you know um Putin to this day putin Putin fancies himself as one of these world leaders, one of these alexanders the great nebuchadnezzars and um and, and without getting into it, one of the things we don't understand in the West is some of the um history and you know we barely can remember our two hundred years of history. But in Russia, and it's really what it is, it's replacement theology at its worst, at its best, replacement theology that um, God has replaced Israel, and Russia believes that they are uh, the modern-day Rome and that they're going to conquer and and be like Rome. And so Putin himself, he's one of these guys. He has this weird ego, and he thinks that he is um, going to be a world leader someday, a world ruler. And he's not just, you know, it's not, there's, there's a trying to like explain it without getting too deep into it, but basically he has this again chip on his shoulder that he is by will of God or call of some supernatural thing, somebody greater than he is. Um, Nebuchadnezzar, again, he, he after so much time in this great Babylon that it was and being a world conqueror. He um, believed that he had built this great Babylon. So what we're going to see in this chapter is Nebuchadnezzar is going to be um, humbled by God. And I, I really believe that we're going to see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. That's my personal conviction. The Bible doesn't, the Bible says, not it doesn't say, the Bible does say that we are not the the judge of anybody's salvation. You don't know who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. That, that, that when it says do not judge, it's talking about somebody's salvation. Um. The thief on the cross. How many of you guys used to hang out with the thief on the cross before they put him on a cross? Had you had a friendship or known anything about the thief on the cross, when you saw him dying on a Roman cross, you would have been positive in your mind that he was going to hell. But did he go to hell? He went to heaven. You know, and, And again, in the area of judging, as believers, we're not to judge somebody's salvation. Now we can judge people's fruit we can judge people's character, whether we want to hang out with them, whether we want to allow them into our personal circle in our lives, but we're not to judge their salvation. You know, and I know this, I know it's not biblical and it's not true, but when, when you guys remember who Jerry Garcia is, he's the lead singer of the Grateful Dead and Jerry Garcia led a revolution um, for, for 40 years of, of people who, who did drugs and followed them around the nation and lived a debaucherous and a licentious lifestyle that that he led and was really a guru for. And um, I remember when he died, I tweeted that um, he ain't so gratefully dead anymore. (laughs) Basically, it's hot where he went. Now, again, I know that's not right because I don't know. Jerry Garcia could have got saved. He could be in heaven. He could have asked Jesus in his heart before he died. um, But he doesn't. You know, I I personally uh, I'm getting way off now, but it's okay. I, uh, I I heard a testimony of Bob Marley giving his life, and again, Bob Marley. If, if we're being you know honest with who Bob Marley is, Satan used Bob Marley. Y- you know what? What your kids and my kids and the culture that that we live in today, and where pot has come to where pot was in the '60s, it, it is completely a revolution took place, and it's two completely um, polar opposite places of where, where pot and marijuana was a f, was um, forbidden and terrible and very few would actually do it to today where it's more common than not. And part of that, it happened in the 70s and 80s through Bob Marley and Bob Marley was the beginning of this pot uh, revolution that Satan was actually bringing who, who, you know, knew where it was going and where it would go today where it's now, you know, they're fighting to make it legal in all 50 states um and in many states, I think it's 11 states um, with, with more on board where it is legal now. And so, you know, Satan used him to bring that that marijuana culture to mainstream. And so, you know, again, you take a guy that Satan used and his music, you know, didn't glorify God. Bob Marley was a Rastafarian. He believed in, um, in uh, uh, H- H- Halle Selassie and the Rastafarian religion believed that there was a prophecy that said when a black king was in, in King uh, was the king of Ethiopia that he would be the Messiah, and so they believed that Haile Selassie, who was the first black king of Ethiopia, would was their Messiah. And when Bob Marley went to die, when he was dying, he died of cancer, and because of the Rastafarian beliefs, he refused medicine. He had cancer in his toe, turf toe, maybe from playing soccer, and it had it was cancerous, and they, they could have amputated his toe and. At the onset, and he would have been fine, but he wouldn't. He refused because of his belief. He ended up in the United States in a in a cancer ward, and it was there that he died. And when he died, his family and friends had gathered around him, and he he said out loud, he said, "Jesus, I'm ready. Come get me." And those that were there, some that didn't know what was going on, said, "Did he just say Jesus? Didn't he mean Haley Selassie? Because he had claimed Haley Selassie was his Messiah. But the story goes that his cousin and the doctor who was treating him in the United States were both born-again believers. And in the last couple months of his life, they, they were they were sharing the gospel of Jesus with him on that deathbed. And that he had received Jesus in his heart through his Christian cousin. And then when his other family members came from Jamaica and other places to be there, they didn't know what was going on. They didn't realize that. But that he gave his life to Jesus. And that's why... I believe it's redeemed. You can listen to Bob Marley music. <laughs> He's in heaven, and uh, we're, we're going to have good reggae music in heaven. All right, really, the, the heart of what I wanted to kind of point out was just this, these world r- rulers, the Putins, the um, King Hussein, Saddam Husseins, others who believe there was something. You know, in Israel, they call Trump um, King Cyrus of our day. Because King Cyrus was a pagan king who God used to bless the Jews. And so they even have a coin in Israel with Trump's face on it. And it says King Cyrus or the modern day King Cyrus. And so um, we're going to see Nebuchadnezzar who um, is going to get full of pride. And God is going to bring down in this chapter. um, Chapter 4 verse number 1 it says "Um, to all the people, nations, languages that dwell in all the earth. Now really quickly on the onset. 30 years now have passed. This is the end of King Nebuchadnezzar. When we get to chapter 5, King Nebuchadnezzar has died. Um, Belteshazzar will take over. Belteshazzar is a Babylonian king who will be conquered by the Medo-Persians. They will actually conquer Babylon because of laziness and and other things we'll get into next week. Um, But this chapter is unique in the Bible because it is written from and by King Nebuchadnezzar in um, his Babylonian language. And so... Um, Some of this stuff doesn't, the words don't always translate into what the Hebrew would be, no doubt. Daniel probably would have overseen this. But this is the recording of the words of Nebuchadnezzar where God just records the words and what he's saying. And so, again, sometimes that happens in the Bible. And just want to be clear that as you read your Bible, some of those context things are so important. In 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 the book of Job, for example, the book of Job for like 30 chapters, God is just recording what these three friends of Job says. You guys know the story, Job has all this terrible calamity that happens in his life. His three friends show up, and they start trying to figure out what is going on in Job's life. And so for 30 chapters, the Bible is just recording the words of these philosophers. And so you can't take anything in those 30 chapters as it's something that God is telling you or I to do, because God shows up in about chapter 42, and He tells those three guys, Hey, shut up, you don't know what you're talking about. Let me tell you, where were you when I stretched the lines and told the ocean how far it could go and on and on and on. So in this chapter, again, we have Nebuchadnezzar who's writing. The Lord is recording. And like I said, I believe that Nebuchadnezzar um, is in heaven. I I think from his testimony, I believe that God was, um, and really because of the witness of Daniel, and really Daniel and all the characters of the Bible, he's super unique. He's one of the um, only ones the Bible records no sin of. In all the Bible, there's only a few where, where the Bible doesn't record. Now, Daniel sinned because the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the grace of God. And so, you know, he was born into sin. And and one little tiny sin makes you a sinner. So he didn't, Jesus is the only one who ever lived a sinless life. But interestingly enough, God never records any of Daniel's sins. The other one is Joseph. No, no record of Joseph's sin in the Bible. Um, and you could argue that too. I guess Joseph did have, some, some issues when he was telling his brothers what was going on and doing some things like that. But um, So Nebuchadnezzar says, To all the people, nations, languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare to you the signs and wonders that the Most High has worked for me. Everybody say, for me. So the signs and wonders up to this point that God had worked, did, did God work these specifically for Nebuchadnezzar? I think you could argue that he didn't. I think you could argue that the signs and wonders that Nebuchadnezzar are talking about, Daniel interpreting a dream in chapter 1, or in chapter 2. In chapter 1, Daniel, Shadrach, and Ameshach, and Abednego, who wouldn't eat any of the king's delicacies. And when King Nebuchadnezzar um, interviewed them, he found them 10 times, it says in chapter 1, brighter and more um, well off than the other other people that, uh, that they were raising up. And then in chapter 3, he sees she puts Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into a fiery furnace. And he says, didn't I throw three into the fiery furnace, and yet I see four. And the fourth is as if the Son of Man, the Son of God. And so he sees these signs, but they weren't necessarily done for him. But he recognizes, and it is very true, that, that through these, this process, God was getting a hold of Nebuchadnezzar's heart. Is there anybody in your life that you've been praying for to get saved? Now, every one of you should say yes, if you're if you're Christ follower in here. So is there anybody in your life that you've been praying for that would get saved? Everybody? Yes. Okay. Is there anybody in your life that you've given up on? Come on, be honest. <laughs> We're in church now. I'll tell you, and I, I hate to admit this, but it's the truth. Um, my brother... Who's a pastor, uh, senior pastor at a church um, in, in Southern California? Um, he got saved when he was 20 years old. He he was part of the the part of what God was doing in my life. God had a call on his life, and he he rebelled from the Lord. He walked away from the Lord, and he came back to the Lord at 40 years old. And so I'm 47. He's 10 years older than me. He's 57. So now he's been walking again with the Lord for 17 years. Um. And I can remember during that time from him being 20 to 40, and he's 10 years older than me, so when he when he got saved, I was walking with the Lord, he, I was 10, and then at some point he stopped walking with the Lord. And so when I'm 20, he's 30, another 10 years of him not walking with the Lord, and, and I can remember witnessing to him and sharing with him. And him and I would get in yelling matches and screaming matches sometimes, and and right before, and, and God was really doing amazing work in his life. I believe that God was beginning to call him, but he was, I, I thought he lost his mind. One time he called me and he said, he said that um, science is about to pull the covers back on God and, and reveal what's going on. And he was saying this stuff and I'm just like, I hung up the phone and I said, God, he's going to go to hell. I, I, I He's so lost. He's so far gone that, and honestly, I, I just felt in my heart, I, I felt like I didn't have the energy to pray for him anymore because it was useless anyways, and this was after years and years of witnessing to him and conversations and conversations and and um, I just gave up on him. I did. I just told the Lord, God, I give up, and I know I'm not supposed to, but I'm just. Can you give me someone else to pray for? <laughs> because he he is just never going to get it, and and he is so completely off his rocker now. He quit his all kinds of stuff. Weird stuff going on. Well, about a year later, he gives his life to Jesus. And then about three years into his walk, or two years into his his walk of coming back to God, he he made a commitment to the Lord that he was going to read his Bible every day. And from the from that time to today, he's not missed a day. And then there was fruit. There was absolute bona fide fruit, and I watched him even after he gave his life back to Christ, in those first two years of 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 walking with the Lord again and coming back to God. And and then from the time he made that commitment that he was going to read his Bible every day and, and how rapidly God began to restore and give back to him the years that the locust had eaten. Because the Bible says, I will return to you the years the locusts have eaten. But that you know and I share that testimony all the time because it will radically change your life. You want to, you want to, you want to grow in Jesus. You want to make a radical break. You want to not be nominal as a Christ follower and begin to really grow. Make a commitment to God that you'll be in the Word every day. The Word of God has two promises for you to make you prosperous and give you good, to give you success. And 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 that's just from reading the Word of God day and night and meditating to do all that's in it. And so um, so we never give up. Hard cases can happen. Anybody know a hard case? Anybody run like go to a high school reunion, and like the class stoner comes up to you and is like, "I got saved," (laughs) something. Where you're like, man, you're the last person I would have ever thought would give their life to Jesus. But Nebuchadnezzar is that story. He's the last one probably anybody would have ever thought. And really in such a difficult place because of who he was and the power that he wielded. Now again, Nebuchadnezzar being a world leader. And you remember the statue? You guys can't forget the statue of of Nebuchadnezzar. There's a kind of a a part of it there, but we had it in colors and all the things, the Nebuchadnezzar being the head of gold and that he, he was the off with your head King. He was, he was anything he said was bond. He could say it, he could change it. And then when the Medo-Persians take over, do you remember that, that the, the, that the Medo-Persian King made a decree against Daniel. He signed it into Medo-Persian law. And then when he found out it was going to affect Daniel, he didn't want to do it, but because it was Medo-Persian law, it superseded this king of the Medo-Persians. Well, Nebuchadnezzar was not that king. He could do anything he wanted. He was all-powerful. He was a world ruler. And then he says, "Um, peace to you, peace be multiplied to you. It almost sounds like a Pauline thing. And then he says in verse number um, two, I think I just read that. Oh yeah, I read that. Um, I thought it it good to you, declare the signs and wonders, the Most High has worked for you. Now, I can't leave this verse without at least mentioning. um, You have, and the Bible says in Revelation 12, they overcame Satan, how? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Your testimony is powerful. You can all share your faith in Jesus by simply telling someone what God has done in your life. I can remember I, I spent a couple summers in Alaska, and I was witnessing to this person all summer long in Alaska. And I was telling them Bible verses and all these things. And and I can remember it was like towards the end of the summer. And, and I stopped trying to convince them how much I knew and what the Bible was saying. And and I just started to tell them what God had done in my life. And she she looked at me and she was like, I can see the passion in your eyes for the first time. I can see the I can see the sincerity and the love in your heart for the first time. And I just started telling her what God was doing in my life. I stopped trying to tell her about you know, scriptures and this and that. And, and I just started sharing with her where I was and what God had done and how God had changed me. There's a power in your testimony. They overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb and the power of their testimony. And here we're just going to get the, the powerful testimony of how God changed Nebuchadnezzar's life. And then he says um, in verse 3, How great are, are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And his domain is from generation to generation. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar, because of these signs and wonders, he knows who the God of Israel is. He knows who the God of heaven is. Let me, let me just remind you a few of the things that Nebuchadnezzar said. Look at what he said in chapter 1, in verse 20. He says, In all manners of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, King Nebuchadnezzar, he found Daniel and his friends ten times Better than all the magicians, astrologers who were in his realm. That was in the beginning, in chapter one. He saw Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego, who just wanted to serve their God, and and he found them ten times better than the rest. So he's already, God is already beginning this witness. And then when we get to chapter two, in verse forty-seven, um, Nebuchadnezzar has thrown Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in. No, that's not in chapter two. Daniel interprets the dream, and he's giving Daniel. Um, the credit for interpreting the dream. Look what he says in chapter 2 in verse 47. And the king answered Daniel and said, Truly your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of secrets since you could reveal this secret. And then the king promoted Daniel and gave him great gifts. So that was after Daniel interpreted the dreams. Your God is the God of gods. He He is... I wish he would have said He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. And then in chapter 3 after Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go into the fiery furnace and come out, this is what Nebuchadnezzar says in chapter 3 and verse 28. And Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel, Jesus, to, and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and they have frustrated their king's words and yielded their bodies, that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nations, language, which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut into pieces, and their house shall be made into an ash heap, because there is no God who can deliver like this. This is his history. Three occasions where God had done something so powerfully that this king was willing to admit, and knowing that he was the head of gold, that this God was the God of kings. He was the God of gods. He was the greatest of the gods and they would have been polytheistic and believed in all kinds of gods. And so now here you come to this point in Nebuchadnezzar's life and he knows the truth. But listen, the truth... That, you know The Bible says that, that, that you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. But, but the truth in itself, unless you surrender to the Lord God as your Lord and Savior, you ask Jesus, you give lordship of your life to God, to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, You know, the Bible says that the demons believe and tremble. We have to define the word believe. Oh, I believe in Jesus. That's fine, but that doesn't mean salvation. Believing in Jesus is not going to heaven. Oh, what is the Bible says if you trust and believe? Well, yeah, if we define what believe means because the demons tremble and believe, they're not going to heaven. If you believe something, there's action behind it, right? Just like the word love. Oh, I love my wife. I just keep her chained in the basement. And I beat her twice a week. Well, no, you don't love her if you keep her chained in the basement. You don't love her if you beat her up. Love is an action, not a, not a word, right? Believe is an action. There is a bomb under your seat right now. And in 30 seconds, it's going to go off. Do you believe me? No, you don't. But if you did believe me, would there be proof that you believe me? You're going to heaven? She's going to stay right there. Well, the rest of you guys would get up and run as fast as you can out the door. And that's that's believe. Believe. Oh, there's a bomb under my chair. Believe is getting up and, and running because that means believe. And so Nebuchadnezzar never surrendered his heart. I shared my testimony with you guys on Sunday that that I, I said the prayer to ask Jesus in my heart when I was in eighth grade and I didn't get saved. I was still going to hell. And listen, unless you surrendered your heart and life to Jesus, you're not born again. It's a surrender of your heart and life. It's a giving. It's a trusting. And so Nebuchadnezzar is in this kind of place where a lot of friends that you have, a lot of people that you know, they, they believe. They, they know what's right. They know what's wrong. But they're not willing to surrender their life to God. I was in that place. That's exactly where I was in. I was in the place in 8th grade. I believed in the Bible. I believed in Jesus. I believed in God. I knew these things. But I didn't want to give up my life. I was afraid I wouldn't have any fun. So I became fully addicted to drugs. How much fun do you think I was having then? I wasn't. I was in bondage. I was miserable. I was going to end up dead or in jail. Or, and, 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 and God set me free. I didn't experience joy until I surrendered my heart to God. Those things that I wanted, that I, the, why I wouldn't surrender, I never experienced those things until I surrendered. And so whatever holds you back, God wants to give you that. So as you surrender your heart and life to God, the Bible says God gives you the desires of your heart. And so Nebuchadnezzar is in this place where he knows the truth, but he hasn't yet surrendered. And then in verse 4 he says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my, in my palace. And I saw a dream which made me afraid. And the thoughts of my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. And so Nebuchadnezzar is... Um, He's in this place where it's really dangerous for kings. We're going to see this, and we saw this in the life of King David, where King David was older, they had conquered, there was peace all around, the palace was grown up, his place was done and finished, he had wives and children, and he was kicking back and taking it easy late in life. And this is where he fell into the sin with Bathsheba. And so Nebuchadnezzar has reached this point, there's no more worlds to conquer, they've conquered everything. The the city is is absolutely phenomenal and built and done. And Nebuchadnezzar is there and he's kicking back and it says he has a dream. Now, I, I, I could probably skip this next part, but let's talk about it for a minute. Has anybody ever seen a vision, a God heavenly vision? Has God shown or spoke to you in a vision? How about a dream? Has God spoken um, to you in a dream? Um, I, I think I've seen a vision one time. I was young in the Lord. And I believe the vision was a graveyard and there was empty graves and there was a light shining out of the grave in the form of a cross. And I believe it was a part of of God's call on my life to lead souls to Christ as what God was doing in my life and what God was was a vision that God was giving me for the future. Um, But still to this day, God has never really explained that. I personally can't honestly say that um, God has spoken to me through a dream. Um, One of the things that's happening... In the world today is that Muslims are coming to Christ in great numbers in places like Iraq, especially in, in Iran, especially in Iran. Right now, I don't know where the organizations are that that monitor this stuff and how they count it. But you remember 10 years ago, there was an underground church in China and the fastest growing revival on planet Earth was happening in China 10, 15 years ago. Today, as we stand here today, the fastest growing revival on planet Earth is happening in Iran. Well, you, know what's ha- you know what the, the problem in Iran is? There's no Bibles. There's no Bibles. They don't have the Word of God. So it doesn't limit God. Do you know what God's doing instead in those places? He's having to speak through dreams and visions. But you know, the visions and the dreams are consistent all the way through because the people don't get saved in the dream. They don't have a dream of of Jesus and then He leads them into salvation. Usually, All the ones I've heard, all of them that I've heard is that he leads them to a person and the person leads them to Jesus. Every one of them, they have this dream they, now they, they've seen Jesus in the dream. They know he's real. They know he's there, but they're not yet necessarily saved because they didn't get saved in the dream. Maybe God showed them a picture of a person. And the next day they were in the market and they look up and there's the person in their dreams. Now I, I've, I've, i personally have met one of these people, um, Right here, of all places, believe it or not, Grantsville, Utah. We have a family, Grantsville, Utah, the Smiths, and he is a, um, bo- no, that's plants, birds of prey, biologist, and his specialty is birds of prey. So what he does out here at Salt Lake City Airport is he traps birds because the birds are very dangerous to the plains. Some of the birds they dispose of, pigeons, different things, seagulls, whatever. But when they when they get birds that are endangered or... If they get um, eagles or falcons or these things, they catch them, and then they release them. So every once in a while, he he would invite at times take some of our youth group kids because they have to drive like six hours away from the airport and release these falcons or these birds of prey. His son follows in his footsteps, and he does exactly what his dad does, and he's, what's the right term? You guys a biologist? If, handle birds of prey, is that right? Um, so anyways, he his son... Um, goes online, he applies, and and guess who hires him? The country of Turkey has an organization, and because where Turkey sits, there are migration paths for some of these birds of prey that he's studying. So this young man from Grantsville who knows Jesus, um, born-again family, in Turkey, he's working um, with birds of prey, and a woman approaches him on the street, and she says, I had a dream of Jesus last night. And I saw you in my dream, and Jesus told me to talk to you that you would tell me about Jesus. Now, originally, he thought it was a trap because, again, if you proselytize in Turkey, it's off with your head. And so he was hesitant, and then the Holy Spirit began to speak to his heart, um, much like you see in the Bible. And he said, do not fear. I'm with you. And he was able, then he opened up, he shared the gospel with her, and she got saved. Now, again, that's happening all over where God is speaking through dreams and visions. There's stories of missionaries, um, and, and again, this is this is what Billy Graham was talking about in that message. That's between Damien and I. Sorry, uh, it was a conversation we had earlier about that video, when Billy Graham in that clip. Well, anyways, um, there, there's the stories of missionaries, and they're preaching in these remote villages, and there's a guy in the back, and he's just bawling, and he's emotional, and at the end of it, the pastor says, "What? What?" Through an interpreter, "Why are you so emotional?" And what happens? And the guy basically says. Um, now I know the name of my God. I've been serving Jesus my whole life. I love Jesus, but he doesn't have the word of God. He's, he grew up in this remote village. He knows Jesus. He knows the God of heaven. He knows the God you and I know. And this missionary shows up in his village, and he says, now I know the name of my God, Jesus. And, and so God is working in his life in a unique and special way. And, and so, um, but, but listen, and then this is again, this is my personal bias. I don't hear and see uh, as many of those type of testimonies here in the United States. Why? I don't know. My personal opinion is because God doesn't need to give you a dream to bring revelation. God doesn't need to give you a vision to bring revelation. Because you have all the revelation you need. The Bible says that all you need for life and godliness is contained in the Word of God. So you have ten times more, a hundred million times more vision of future events and revelation than anybody does who gets a, a unique vision of Jesus in a dream. You have the Word of God. You know, I when I when I first became a believer in Jesus, when I first got saved, there was probably six supernatural, miraculous things that happened in my in my young life as a believer. Supernatural things where the Holy Spirit did something that was supernatural and phenomenal and, and like dreams and visions in my heart and life. As I began to grow in Christ, you think those things would multiply. And the closer I got to Jesus, but those things went away. But, but I really, again, I believe that God did something before I knew the Word of God, before I had the Word of God, as He was calling me and drawing me. He was doing supernatural things in my life. And now He's called me and He's given me the written Word, the Word of God, that I now have those things. And so, so again, you know, if you have a dream t- tonight and you come in on Sunday and you say, Pastor Chris, you know, I had. Now, first of all, my name's not Daniel, so I don't interpret dreams. Because I get this from time to time. And I try to be as gracious as I can. And I try to listen. But honestly, it's weird to me. I had this dream and, and I saw this and I, this happened. And, and, and the person is oftentimes confused about the meaning. And I'm like, well, first of all, God doesn't necessarily... You know he's not a god of confusion, and yes, I understand. Dan, uh, Nebuchadnezzar was confused, and then Daniel had to give the interpretation. But Daniel was not confused. But again, um, if it's confusing, and it's unclear, God's word is not and, and not uh, not confusing and is very clear. And so, not to say God can't speak to us through dreams and visions, and there's definitely. Uh, a difference between a dream and a vision. A dream, again, is more like you go to sleep, you, you wake up in the morning, you remember a dream that you had. A vision that can happen when you're awake, it can happen when you're asleep. It's supernatural. You will know the difference. Okay. Um, so God is speaking again multiple times in Nebuchadnezzar's life through um, visions. I do believe that they had um, they had the written word at this time. Parts of it. They would have had the Torah. Would have been completed by now. Um, and then in verse 5, he says, I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts of my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore, I, assur- I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers came in, and I told them the dream, but they did not make known to me its interpretation. Heck no! These guys are so, so afraid of Nebuchadnezzar De- by now. I kind of get this impression that, that houses were really nice in Babylon. I don't think, not only I think was the, the city one of the greatest cities in antiquity, but every time, you see it multiple times as you read. When Nebuchadnezzar gets fired up, he says two things. I'm going to cut you in pieces. Now, if I'm dead, I don't care how many pieces you cut me in. And I'm gonna, You know, I'm done already. Maybe he starts with your, this way or something. And you, but he says, I'm going to cut you in pieces, and I'm going to turn your house into an ash heap. So maybe people lived in really nice houses, and that was a big deal. And, and Nebuchadnezzar had a pride about the fact these houses were He was going to turn there. And because he was this off-with-your-head king and, and kind of radical, maybe there came a point where, you know, they, they were afraid of him. And they just said, we're not going to try it. But this time, remember last time he called these guys in? What did he tell them? He said, I had a dream. I had a vision. I want you to tell me the dream and its interpretation. They said, oh, nobody can do that, O king. And then Daniel came in, and of course he did it. But this time, he's, he's at least being gracious with them. He tells them what the dream is. And they, and they won't even take a crack at this one. The first time they said, tell us what the dream is and we'll give you the interpretation. And now he tells them the dream and they're like, we like our houses and we like our body parts right where they are. So they didn't, they didn't give it to him. And this is, I find this interesting here. Look at verse number 8. But at last, Daniel came before me. Daniel came before me. Why does that say me? Because Nebuchadnezzar is writing this, Right. This is the actual recording of Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel came before me. Do you, do you wonder why did God bring Daniel in, or why did Nebuchadnezzar bring Daniel in last? You think he would have learned his lesson by now. Don't bring him in last. But I think maybe we're just creatures of habit, and that was what the custom was, to bring in the astrologers, the soothsayers, the magicians. Do you know that we're all creatures of habit? i often teased. Now, if you've been in church for more than five minutes, you heard this joke, but it's true. Where did you guys sit last week? Right where you're sitting this week, right? We're we're creatures of habit. I I saw this thing on on men being creatures of habit, which I guess I did it totally different today after I read this. But men, you shave the same side of your face to start every day of your life that you shave. And you will always do it for the rest of your life. But nobody thinks about it, just natural. I'm right-handed, I shave with my right hand, so when I get the razor, I always start right here. Today I didn't, I started, after I read that, I was like, I'm starting on the left side today. But but that's the deal, you're just creatures of habit. We tend to do the same things, and maybe he he did the same things over and over and over again. He calls Daniel last. Um, this, His name is Belteshazzar, this is Babylonian name, according to the ma- name of my God, and his God was a God by the name of, of Marduk was was Nebuchadnezzar's God. Or another common name of Marduk is Baal. But Marduk was the specific God that Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians um, served. According to the name of my God, in him is the spirit of the holy God. And I told them the dream before him saying, now what does Nebuchadnezzar say about Daniel in verse number eight, the second half? In him is what? How do you think Nebuchadnezzar knew that? Did Daniel have like like a bulge out of the side of his neck where the Holy Spirit was hanging out and you could just see it like pulsing or something? No, but he again, your greatest witness for Jesus is that people can look at your life and see something different. How do you show other people that? Like if we could bottle that and sell it, if I could bottle that and teach it, you know, we'd all be millionaires, right? But how, how, again, there, there is no bottling or selling it. It's, it's knowing Jesus. And, and the Bible says that you have a countenance. There's a light, that the light of God shines through you. Jesus said, let your light so shine. And again, some um, when the Holy Spirit is on you, when God is working in you, when you're speaking to somebody in love, they can see a difference in you. They can see the Holy Spirit. The other thing the Bible says is that when, when things are going all around you bad and you have a peace that surpasses understanding, like it says in Philippians 4, 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in all things by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which does what? Surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's what the world can see. That's what your unbelieving friends can see. So if you're if things are going bad in your life or around you and you're complaining all the time, people are going to have a hard time seeing that peace. And, and, and they're going to be freaking out and complaining all the time. And they're going to feel like you should be complaining and freaking out. But if you can have a peace, you're like, well, what do you do? You rub your ears and say, wusa? Is that how you do it? Wusa? No, I know Jesus and I don't know how it happens. I have a peace that surpasses understanding as I guard my heart and mind through Christ Jesus. But again, for all of us, right, we would all love that badge of honor that the people around us would say of us, this person is full of the Holy Spirit. I can just see it in him. And then he's even going to say exactly what I just shared, why he's going to say that. Look at verse 9. And then Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, a little side note, you have to know this. Um, Belteshazzar is who? It's Daniel. That's his Babylonian name, right? We're talking about Daniel. So read verse 9 with me again. Daniel, chief of the magicians. If you take the word magician and you cut it off from the sea, what's the first four letters read? Where do you see the Magi in the Bible? Where? With baby Jesus, little baby Jesus. How many Magi were there? We don't know. We know they brought three gifts. So we always assume the three wise men... But technically, we don't know. Oh, I don't know. It could have been three. could have been ten. But um, three is good enough for me. Uh, but anyways, they came from the, the Magi in, in Matthew chapter 2. It says they were kings of the east. They came from Babylon. So th- this same group that Daniel spent 80 years with, training these guys and pouring into these guys, and somehow God revealed to them, as time went on about this star that they one day would go out and find. And it's the same... Because you always wonder, how did these guys know to go look for Jesus? This is the connection right here. That Daniel was friends and Daniel trained these guys and told them. And this mag, the magicians, the magi, are the same guys that, that years later would have come and found baby Jesus. And then it says, um, because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you. Somebody say two times... That's the second time Nebuchadnezzar mentions that. And no secret troubles you. He says, Daniel, you don't, get, you don't get rattled by things. Again, the peace of God that surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So you don't like the president that was, that was elected. You don't like the law that was passed. And yet you're not, you're not ruffled by that. You're not rattled by that. Yeah, I don't like it, but it doesn't. Jesus is still on the throne. God still wins in the end attitude. And when when people again, when they see that these things don't rattle you so easily, they see the peace and the Spirit of God who lives in your life. And Daniel had this in spades. And this is the second time. Nebuchadnezzar is going to say it a third time. And when the Holy Spirit repeats something three times in one chapter, that's an absolute teaching point. That the Spirit of God resides on Daniel. and, And no sin is mentioned of this guy. So then he says, um, and again, Jesus said that he's going to go. And when he goes, he's going to send a helper or a comforter. And then in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit or that comforter that Jesus promised was poured out upon the disciples and a day we call Pentecost. Pentecost means 50. It would be 50 days from the resurrection and so you count 50 days from, from Passover to um, the next Jewish holiday, these four holidays in the fall. And the last one was the day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit was poured out. And it says when the Holy Spirit ca- came upon them, they, they were filled with power. Remember that? And the purpose of the power was to make them witnesses so that we would become witnesses. The Holy Spirit shall come upon you so that you will be my witnesses. And again, this is the witness of Daniel. Now again, which I won't get into actually. i got to be careful with this rabbit trail. Um, this is prior to Jesus dying on the cross. So Daniel would have not been daily filled with the Holy Spirit. Not like you and I. Jesus said John the Baptist was the greatest of all the prophets. But he said you and I are greater than John the Baptist. Now, I don't think any of us would fancy ourselves greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a pretty cool dude in history and in Bible story. But yet Jesus said that you're greater. Well, you're only greater for one reason. Because John the Baptist lived in the Old Testament and he wasn't full daily of the Holy Spirit. You live in the New Testament and you are daily filled with the Holy Spirit of God. So then he says... Um, When we get to the third time that he says he's full of the Holy Spirit, I want to pray and see and, and, and um, maybe take a quick opportunity to um, give you an opportunity to be baptized in God's Holy Spirit. It's very important that we are baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's a separate experience from salvation. If you're looking at me like, oh, no, you're going to baptize me in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to start speaking in tongues and shaking. You don't understand the Holy Spirit. That's not what I'm talking about. It's a biblical experience. Speaking in tongues is a manifestation of being filled in the Holy Spirit, but it's not the only one, and it's not necessary, and it's, it's a byproduct. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. But being filled with the Holy Spirit and, and, and having that, that is a matter of asking. Jesus said, you have not because you ask not. And, and, if, and, if, and if an earthly father knows how to give good gifts to his children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts? And in context, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask? And so we ask. You know what I tell people is in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, because maybe you've had a, a, a weird experience with, with, with some people abusing the gifts of the Holy Spirit, so you're afraid of that idea. Listen, don't be afraid of anything God has for you. Whatever God has for you, say to God, if you have a heart that says, "God, I want all that you have for me," your life will so change in Jesus. Just to to have, embrace, and keep this heart, God, I want all that you have for me. And the reality is, we can all voice that with our lips right now. I can ask you guys all to say, "God, I want all that you have for me." But the reality is, unless you mean that in your heart, and many of us will have reservations because there are some things in our life that we we want to hold on to. And getting to that point in your life where you say, "God," I want all that you have for me. And so then in verse number 10, he says, these were the visions of my head while on my bed. I was looking and behold a tree in the midst of the earth. Now it's just a dream. I'm going to kind of jam through this. The tree grew and became strong. Its heights reached the heavens and it, and it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. Its leaves were lovely. Its fruit was abundant. And in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heaven dwelt in its branches and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the vision of my head while on my bed, and and there was a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven, and he crowd with a loud voice. Now, he calls this a watcher, a holy one from heaven. I, I see this as simply an angel. We know that it's a holy one from heaven. So if it comes from heaven, it can only be one of two things. It's either an angelic being, an angel, or it is Christ himself. I don't see a Christophany here or an Old Testament appearance of Christ, and so I see an angel here. That that again, in this Chaldean language that Nebuchadnezzar would have written this in, had he written this in something we we more readily understand, we could probably interpret this very clearly, but he calls it a watcher. I believe he's talking about this messenger was an angel, okay? And so the Bible is pretty clear that angels play an active role in your life and my life. You know, I don't know if I'm, I I guess you could take it quite as far as to say that we have, you have a guardian angel. You know, I always thought, I remember always thinking that was like a, like a worldly idea that every person has this guardian angel that watches you and takes care of you. And then I can remember later in life reading and hearing messages and studying somewhere and, and that idea is actually presented in the word of God. That that we do have um, guardian angels, that we have the angels who God has put over our charge to watch us and keep us. And, um, and, and, the, and the, it's very clear without getting into angelology right now that, Angels do play an active role in the Earth, in our lives. Um, How many of you guys ever seen those videos? You know, me see a video where um, it's like on a traffic cam, and this kid is walking and there's this like, bus coming, and the kid just like like that, like he moves like 20 yards in like half a second, and he doesn't even really realize what's going on. the bus keeps going, you see that? I think that was an angel that moved that kid. Well, they don't like to get caught on camera, and they're fast. Um, but, you know, again, all right, I'm talking about angels. Today. No angelology. Maybe, maybe one day we'll do some angelology study. And then he says, um, verse 14, He cried aloud, and thus he said, Chop down the tree and cut off its branches, strip off its leaves. This is a part of his dream. He has this dream, this wonderful tree, all this fruit, all this cover. And then, 14, it says, chop it down. Let the beast get out from under it, the birds from its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump. This dude's going to become stumpy, and that's exactly what's going to happen to him. God, the interpretation now, again, I'm not Daniel, but I read Daniel's interpretation, I can tell you what the interpretation is. Daniel, uh, God is going to cut Nebuchadnezzar off at the stump. He's not going to kill him. He's going to cut him off at the stump to humble him. And and then see what he wants to do. If he'll he'll repent and and give his life to God, Um, we'll see the results of that. And the roots of the earth, bound with a band of iron, bronze, tender grass fields, And let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him graze with the beast on the grass of the earth and let his heart be changed from that of a man and let him give the heart of a beast and let him seven times pass over. I guess there's a medical condition that's happened in other times and other places, because what's going to happen is you guys know the story, right? Nebuchadnezzar is going to basically believe in his heart that he's an ox and and he's going to he's going to eat only grass. And he'll like skip the weeds and eat the grass like an ox would. His, his hair is going to start to grow a little different on his body and kind of become feathery. His nails are going to start to grow because he doesn't trim them or do anything. And they're going to grow like a beast. And for seven years, Nebuchadnezzar, in his mind, you can go out and talk to him and have a conversation with him. and He won't realize, he won't recognize you're there. He won't speak words. He'll just act and believe in his mind that he is an ox for seven years. And I guess there's some medical term for this. It's happened at other times where people believe they're a wolf or they're an ox or they're a dog. And they get stuck in this this mindset that they're an animal. Well, that's basically what's going to happen to Nebuchadnezzar. Um, In verse 17, it says, This decision is by the decree of the watchers. And again, that would be the angel. And, and the sentence by the word of the Holy Ones, in order that the living may know that the Most High rules in the kingdom. Do you guys highlight, underline your Bibles? That's the key to chapter 4. It's that middle part of verse 17. Listen, in order that the living may know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men. What is the whole point of all this? The whole point is so that in order that the living may know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men. That the, that the world may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men. That's the point of what, ne- what God is going to do in Nebuchadnezzar's heart and life. He gives it to whoever he will and he sets it over. Um, he sets over it the lowest of men. I think the King James says the basest of men. So God sets up kings and he tears down kings. He sets up presidents and he, and he tears them down. And then the Bible says, and look at the end of verse 17. And he sets it over the basement dwellers of men. He gives it to the basest of men who he just gave it to in the United States. That's what it says. It's what your Bible says. And he gives it to the lowest of men. That's what the Bible says. And then in verse 18 he says, This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you... Belteshazzar, Daniel, declare in its interpretation, since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able for the spirit of the holy God is in you. Part three. The, the spirit of the holy God is in you. Let's finish and then I'll pray for us at the end if you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In verse 19 it says, Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, for a time and, and his thoughts troubled him. So the king spoke and said, Belteshazzar. So Daniel was like quiet. Some of the commentator said for an hour that it says in there somewhere in the language that Daniel just sat there silent for an hour. I, I read through it a couple of times. I couldn't find an hour. But Daniel, again, he's kind of shocked. He's sitting there and we do get the impression that he's silent for a time, whether it's five minutes, a minute, 30 seconds, an hour. And then Nebuchadnezzar speaks to him and he says, Daniel or Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or t- interpretation trouble you. And then he says, My Lord made the dream. And then Daniel finally is going to speak here in the, in the second half of 19. My Lord, small L, small O, small r, small D. My Lord, may the dream concern those who hate you and its interpretation concern your enemies. Daniel received the interpretation and his heart is breaking for Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Daniel loved him. They, they had built a long-standing relationship. I saw somewhere in a story... I was a movie, and and it was Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel. And Nebuchadnezzar was like this 30-year-old handsome-looking whip, and Daniel's like this 60-year-old man that was not handsome. I'm like, get it right. Like, it's not hard. Nebuchadnezzar is older than Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar was a general conquering, and Daniel was a 15-year-old boy when they met. So even if Nebuchadnezzar was 20, 25, when he was conquering for his dad... He's still 10 years older than Daniel. So 20 years later, Daniel didn't get older and Nebuchadnezzar stayed the same age. And it says that Daniel was was more better looking than the other guys. So Daniel would have been a handsome guy too. They could have at least picked like Brad Pitt or Brandon or somebody to play the part. Somebody that was handsome that could, you know, play the part of Daniel. And so, so Daniel... Again, I think he's affectionate. And he didn't say, you know what? It's about time. You, you've been so full of pride. You tried to kill my friends. You, I, I told you about this dream of this head of gold and it wasn't good enough for you and so you built the whole statue of gold thinking that you'll never be overthrown and you're so full of pride and you've got so many problems and God's finally going to deal with you, Nebuchadnezzar. But Daniel doesn't say that at all. He wants to continue. Well, I'm sure what he's guarded for many years with King Nebuchadnezzar, and that was his witness. And we've talked about right here in this church, guarding our witness as Christians. Not doing certain things with unbelievers because we don't want to lose our ability to witness to him for Jesus. And you'll blow your witness with certain things that you do. And so in order to keep this witness, now Daniel has this amazing opportunity and he's going to take advantage of it. And he's lovingly going to tell King Nebuchadnezzar, you have sin in your life. You have to deal with your sin. We can't be afraid to talk about sin. But we have to do it in a loving way. It doesn't mean you say, you're going to hell. We get signs and we stand on the street corner. Turn or burn. I don't know who that ministers to. I'm a Christian and it makes me PO'd. Like, I want to go out and punch those guys. Like, that. I don't know. Maybe there's somebody. Maybe there's some weird personality that was going to hell and got afraid and asked Jesus in their heart, and that's the whole reason why they're there, for that one person that's going to go to heaven is resolved. So God bless them. Let them stand on the corner. But that, that's really not what the Word of God teaches. The Word of God teaches the love. He, the Bible says as clear as day, speak the truth in love. But you have to speak the truth. And you can't have you can't be all love and no truth. Oh, honey, it's okay. I love you. It's okay if you play on the freeway. I just love you. It's not love. You gotta have some truth and love. Honey, I do love you. And that's why you're gonna get your butt off the freeway and stand over here where it's safe. And so we have truth and love. That that behavior will destroy your life. And because I love you, I'll tell you these things are a sin in your life. I'll tell you they're wrong. And so Daniel's gonna do just that. He's lovingly going to minister to King Nebuchadnezzar in such a way, and he's just going to give him the interpretation of the dream. In verse 20 he says, The tree that you saw, which grew and became strong, whose height reached the heavens, who could be seen by the earth, whose leaves... Verse 22, It is you, O king. Really simply, that tree was you. Those branches and all those people that were in them, the birds, the beasts that were getting shade, the fruit that was growing on them, that was you, and Babylon was that. And sure, all these millions of people that you provided for, you built this wonderful city, that's all what's going on here. And inasmuch, verse 23, as the king saw a watcher, a holy one, an angel, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump and roots in the earth bound with a band of iron of bronze, and a band of iron of bronze in the tender grass of the field, let it be wet with dew of heaven, and let him gaze, graze with the beasts and fields, field se- till seven times pass over him. Now again, seven times. If that was Hebrew, times is a term that means years. This is Chaldean. Can't be dogmatic that it, that it means years, but I'm assuming this is a seven-year period that Nebuchadnezzar was going to go through. And so he says... Um, in verse 24, this is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree. Verse 25, they shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over you, or seven years, till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he chooses. And as much as they gave the command to leave the stump and the roots in the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know that heaven rules. After you come to know the heaven rules. Therefore, O King, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your what? By being righteous and your iniquities, by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there you may be a lengthening of your prosperity. So listen, maybe there's hope for you. Break off your sins. Get your heart right with God. And listen, that's what you need to tell your friends. You have non-believing friends that call you and they're going through something in their life and they see that your life um, is going pretty well. They're probably going to call you at times. Now, I, I always say good living. You know, I don't know. Maybe there's, there's been a couple times in my Christian living where the phone rang and the person on the other end of the phone said, what must I do to get saved? Or how can I get saved? Like usually you work really hard to get people to at, let you like lead them to Jesus. And every once in a while, God just gives you a gift. It's already been watered planted and everything's done you get to reap the harvest and i've had people call me and just say hey i want to give my life to jesus what do i need to do and, and then i can just walk them through the last step and lead them to jesus and, and so here daniel is um, gonna tell them but you have to tell them listen when your friends do call you and those calls do come you have to tell them listen this lifestyle that you're choosing it, it comes with um, it comes with consequences and you have to get your heart and your life right with god And these choices that you're making are sinful. And they're causing destruction in your life. Get rid of the sin that's in your life. Now, we don't just live moral lives and get rid of sin unless we introduce God and the Holy Spirit into our lives. And then so he says, he deals with this, verse 28, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. And at the end of the 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke saying, is not this great Babylon that I have built? Uh Uh-oh. So he has this dream. Twelve months later, he's kind of forgotten a little bit about it. And he's walking and he's enjoying the the beauty of this, this Babylon. And he says these dreadful words. Is this not the great Babylon which I have built? Do you guys remember the guy in the New Testament? I have built great barns. And I will just build more. And I will store up for myself. And I will... And Jesus said, "You fool! This very day, your life will be required of you, because of pride." You know, you know what the number one sin of Satan was? Pride. You know, Pastor Gerald is absolutely convinced that pride is at the conception of all other sins. And and I've I, you know I, I know I know in First John, John tells us what the plays of the devil are. Right? It's the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. So those three things. So pride is a part of it. And those are the three plays of the devil. They say if the devil was a football coach, he'd only have three plays, run left, run right, run up the middle. And his, you know, But until we stop him, he can keep using it. But that's what the Bible says, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. But, but honestly, you know, we've had pastors who have fallen into sexual sins, and that would fall into the lust of the eyes, or the lust of the flesh. But again, Pastor Gerald has been talking to me at times, and he said, yeah, but at the heart of all this stuff is pride. And I can remember kind of struggling with that idea. And you know, just for me personally, how I'd understand it. But as as I've seen more and more of these people and things, I, I'm starting to agree with Pastor Gerald that I, I really do believe, and I think you can make a really probably strong biblical case that that really the 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 greatest of all the sins it starts with pride. And and God identifies that in, in Proverbs chapter six, He says the seven deadly sins, and the, and it always starts with pride. The first one is a proud look and then he goes on and he lists the other the other deadly sins but the first one is pride when you, when you do a real close biblical study and i'm out of time you guys i got a couple of scriptures I maybe mean, next week we can try to hate to pick up on that and then go on to chapter 5 next week so we'll see what we're going to do next week but let me just talk you through this you can close your bibles cuz we're about done and we're out of time but um, pride is definitely um, at the forefront biblically it was the it was the sin that caused satan to be, to fall from heaven that his heart was full of pride and he was cast out of heaven. Now, um, in the area of pride, it's something that, you know, as Christians, we understand that that was the sin of Satan. And that, again, even a pastor who falls into a sexual sin, you know, because I ask myself, you know, and I want to be on my guard from that. Believe me, I, don't, I know I'm not above falling into some sexual sin. And I'm on my guard for that. And I have to watch and I have to guard and I have to put safe blocks in my life, in my marriage and counseling and in the ways that I meet with, with women as a pastor. And I'm doing all these things, safeguards to protect those things, lest I fall in one of these areas. But, you know, honestly, I just ask myself, like, don't these guys understand, like you're trading, like you're going to get caught. First of all, you're not, you're not going to that thinking, no, I'm not going to get caught. You're going to get caught. I could go to Africa and be alone on a missions trip and sneak out, and, and I will get caught. It doesn't matter where or when, you will get caught. And, and, and do if do I think, man, I, I know I'm going to lose my family, but i to lose my ministry, I'm going to lose this and that and that. Is that <laughs> 30 seconds of pleasure worth? Is it worth it? I don't get it. I'm like, no, it can't be. It can't be. You can't justify it for that. It's terrible, right? And I think of these guys. We just—I just have another good friend of mine, who, who's a senior pastor of a church in California, and I just got a call a couple of weeks ago. So and so just fell. and was sleeping with his secretary. I'm like, can't you get any more original than that? But honestly, if you if you think about it, as I process this in my mind, I'm like, it's pride. It, it's not about the act. It can become, but it really—it's so much more than that. It's getting. It's 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 pursuing. It's power it's all those things that go into the 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 pursuit and really that's about pride and so really even that pride is at the heart of it amen now the bible says to humble yourselves now one thing and i I get kind of challenged on this sometimes but i'm not switching i never pray that god would humble me and i have people come up after all the time well i pray that all the time well good for you but not me last time i prayed and i asked god to humble me he did and I'll never pray that prayer again. And I think the Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. And I don't find anywhere in the Bible where the Bible tells me I should pray that God would humble me. And I don't, He says, humble yourself. So I'm like, Lord, don't humble me. I'll humble myself. If I don't, then I know he has to step in, but but I, I want to humble myself. Part of, um, you know, a couple of things. I had five things I was going to tell you guys about how to how to combat pride in your life. And now we're way over time. But I'll just tell you the ones I can remember real quick. That opened my notes um, in Romans. It says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. And that's the first part. It says it says it says, in James, it says to um, humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. It says that um, Jesus made himself a servant and he washed feet. So make yourself a servant. Put yourself in the servant. Jesus said, don't take the, the seat of honor. When you go into a wedding or a feast, don't take the seat of honor, lest somebody come up and say, "Hey, you're in the wrong seat. You need to go to the back." But humble yourself and, and sit in the back. And then, if you be- deserve the place of honor, the host will come and say, "Hey, you need to be sitting up closer." And so you 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 um, you humble yourself. You take on the, the the place of a servant and sit in the back. No, I'm just kidding. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, so much for this day. And Lord, we know that the sin of pride is such a egregious, and the sin that ultimately affected Satan's heart. It's the one that you always put at the top of the list, and it seems that that all sin is conceived in um, pride. And so, God, help us to humble ourselves, God, that we would walk in humility, that we would not think more highly than we ought, that we would put ourselves in the place of a servant, and that we would desire to serve God. And, Lord, we thank you. Lord, I pray for everybody in here right now who um, would would like to be baptized in the Holy Spirit to just say yes to you right now that you would give us, Lord, a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit. God, we ask to be baptized in the Holy Spirit afresh tonight. We pray that it would manifest itself in gifts of the Spirit, in new fruit in our lives, in growing in you. So God, fill us with your Spirit now, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you guys. Uh, Daniel 5, next Wednesday.